the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. All right, by all means talk. By all means have conversation. By all means have dialogue. But by all means work towards having solutions. We've got uh, two lines open, one 888 Two lines open, one 888 I'm asking the question, what kind of conversation can we have that brings solutions to the table that are redemptive in nature and not simply regurgitating the the basic obvious divide assessment that that we have been dealing with for many many years maybe even decades now uh, well, give me some solutions saints uh, you've got bibles you've got experience one triple eight three six seven five three two nine give me an assessment give me a solution um, you are wise unto salvation through a knowledge of Jesus Christ what is the answer to the problem, one two lines open. Let me go to line number three and talk with Travis from Berkeley. Travis, are you there? Yes. Hello, Pastor Jesse. Uh, how you doing, brother? So uh, I'm doing I'm doing all right. All so, right. Talk um, to me. I know as Christians that, uh, you know, we're not supposed to be involved in, in politics, things of that nature, as far on a certain level. Right. And, um because we know ultimately that, you know, God is in control of all things, um, mm-hmm. in control of all things, you know. Um, but so my question was for you was um, for me to put an idea out there to see how do you feel about this or what do you think, what would be a, uh, a more spiritual solution that you would have? So mm-hmm. as far as African-Americans, like we're no longer the, 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 the minority. Um, right. We're actually the majority now. And right. as far as... Um, Voting is concerned. Um, I was thinking, like, um, just African Americans in general, and, and uh, lower class, middle class, upper class, all, um, all, 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 you know, all people, African Americans in general, and even people that want to support the cause. What do you think, as far as, as, as our voting concern, is like? We like boycott voting. Like, we're not going to vote until you put policies or put things in plans that say that you know what I'm saying. You're going to. Uh, you know, in different police departments that you're going to, you know, uh, oppose to this. Like, like they need our vote. Right. And, like, we're just we're, we're not going to vote until you do that. Like, what do you right. Well, about? across the things- spectrum, what we do know in terms of politics is that uh, we don't if everybody were to be elected, elected officials, then that that strategy you're talking about works. But the way that our institutions are set up. There are way too many uh, very strategic, powerful positions of authority that are not offices uh, that are elected to. They're placed by they're placed there by people who are in office who unfortunately and and, and way more frequently than we want to be honest about Travis. Um, once they get inside and get into a position of power, they play the good old boys club, whether they wanted to or not. Originally, they end up sliding into that pattern of the good old boys club because it's kind of an in-house game. And this is why 
you have not seen across the nation uh, any substantial, I mean, massive substantial changes in the demographics of law enforcement. It still is so absolutely normative for you and I uh, as, as being part of the majority, as you said. When you say majority, it's not majority African-American. It is majority uh, uh, um, color. It is majority non-white. There's no doubt about that. The spectrum from Asians and Indians and Latinos on into uh, African-Americans makes us the majority in that sense. But you're not seeing substantial change taking place uh, in in critical institutions uh, for the purpose of fair representation, which is a strategy that, um, you know, the NAACP and other institutions have tried to implement over the years, the, the, the need to get into those positions of power. It, it works in a few areas. In other areas, it doesn't work. The sad thing about that element that you're talking about, Travis, of, um, of representation, if, if that could be the case, Still, when you and I are talking about African-Americans or people of color or people of, of, of ethnic groups other than Caucasian, we're not talking about a monolithic worldview. We're not talking about all of us seeing things the same way. Way too frequently, uh, the vast majority of, of our folks, along with uh, you know people of, of different hues, um, are operating out of a non-biblical worldview. They're operating out of a liberal worldview, a post-modern worldview, um, a secular worldview that does not have essential underpinnings that allows for them, when once they enter into those public offices or um, our uh, elected offices, to act in the best interest of our society across the board. So you see failure once they get in. The, the perfect example for me is just in the area of the presidency. Uh, you know, a half of America, a little bit more than half of the voting uh, block of America wins a president every four to eight years. So if 100 million people vote, and they do, out of the 320 million, so two-thirds don't, uh, every eight years, we get a new president by a small sliver of an advantage. That means that president in the office, such as Trump right now, um, he, he's liked by some, but he's, he's also not liked by a substantial group on the other side. That keeps us all divided because people on the left are people on the right, are people pro-Trump, people anti-Trump don't know how to actually engage their fellow man on the ground level outside of the notion you voted for Trump or you voted for this person, you voted for that person, and we're automatically in that dialect dialectical hostility. And unfortunately, this happens to Christians too. I do want to say this, that we do need to vote. And voting is a right and a privilege, and it is one of the nonviolent ways of trying to produce change. And that is not mutually exclusive to being Christian. So I don't want to create that 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 false uh, that false dichotomy. To be a Christian and to vote is not a a, a paradoxical reality. Um, what will become a problem is 
when we allow our politics to so shroud who we are as Christians that we divest our Christianity of the substantial meaning of what it is to be a Christian. And unfortunately, that happens a whole lot, too. But we would certainly want our leaders to hold to a biblical worldview, who, who will hold to morality and ethics as outlined by Scripture, but that would require a major unifying element on the part of the people on the ground and that's not going to happen until we have conversations, Travis, that allows us to be able to talk to each other in small blocks about how to identify the things that we hold in common that are essential for the unity of our society, for the betterment of our society, and, 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 and therefore from those vantage points of unity and betterment, we can now begin to try to implement change at the political level. But I really believe the hard work is on the ground at the level of uh, worldviews and understanding and, and, uh, and comprehending what really righteousness is all about. Because if we're divided at the ground level, we'll never make it at the political level. We'll never make it at the judicial level. We'll never make it at the legislative level. Those uh, leaders that we have there, they do the best they can, but they don't have the ability to change the way the structure is working. So hence, what happens on the ground is there is a perpetual, relentless, unending frustration that all it requires is a match to be thrown into it, and we're back on fire again as we are right now. The you still there? I wanted to, yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say too is like um, it, I'm I'm actually very angry at Joe Biden. Why everybody okay. is like focusing on Trump? I'm seeing that, like, Joe Biden is kind of, like, trying to take this opportunity, like, the campaign. And it's just, I mean, I'm just, like, just really angry at that. And then, uh, well, then my other point, what I, what I would ask you, um, what would be a better solution that you would feel would be better, like, more spiritual? Well, to quite, quite frankly, I'm going to tell you what I believe is going to be the only solution that will begin to turn this around. And uh, it's, 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 it's repentance on the part of the church uh, in terms of their carnality, uh, on, in terms of their abandonment of, of deep, profound commitment to Christ and, and a, a commitment to a kind of life that would, that would uh, seal us with the Holy Spirit so that we can actually do legitimate work of seeing souls transformed. Uh, a non-transformational ministry is absolutely useless in the hands of God Almighty. Uh, this is what we're dealing with with the seven churches. You have a name that you're alive, the Sardis Church, but you're dead. And Christ called that church on the carpet and definitely threatened that church for not being the light in the world that it's called to be. And unfortunately, so much of the narrative that's coming from pastors and churches when we enter into these difficult times is not the need to preach the gospel uh, with a prayerful objective of men and women being converted and, 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 and therefore living lives of, of regeneration that will bring about an understanding of what the moral and ethical uh, parameters of a, a, a new life in Christ is all about, which is what our folks need in, in, on Skid Row, what our folks need in prison, what our folks need uh, uh, in the convalescent homes, what our folks need in the dire straits of our society. They, they need Christ. But see, you're going to be laughed at, 
today. This is how far we have departed in our society from the seriousness of the gospel. The average pastor would be ashamed to think that his goal is to simply preach Christ and pray for conversion and that God would be pleased to raise up converted men and women and give them the gifting to be able to be a, mean, a means and benefit to our society. That's the long road. That's the old-fashioned method of missionary work by which a society is incrementally changed. That's not going to work today in our world where we are in a post-Christian era, even in the church. It's in, in many ways, is a post-Christian era in the church. Preaching Jesus and making him the answer and the sinner is just quip phraseology that has no substantial meaning for most people today. They are they're much rather just get mad and get angry and get pissed off and get frustrated and, and call whites on the carpet or our, you know, our Caucasian brethren, you know, behind closed doors because they're disadvantaged. We just call blacks on the carpet and and buy into the narrative. All blacks are lazy. All blacks are this. All blacks are that. That falls right back into the system of communist socialist transformational uh, dialectic. Create through propaganda the hostility, the anger, cause them to be red in the eyes. Create chaos under that by having your instigators go out and do what they do in the streets, because this is what's going on right now as I speak. Protesting is good, violence and 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 destructive behavior is bad. But you got institutions, Travis, that are going right out there right now among the protesters, uh, ramping up the rhetoric, creating more anger, creating more hostility. It is a kind of uh, prostitution of emotionalism that has brought our society into a kind of paralysis in the area of thinking through our challenges. I mean, I could talk so much more about the difference between a philosophy that Martin Luther King had uh, relative to the time that he had to deal with these major crises than what we're doing today. Uh, Martin Luther King knew very well that you could never accomplish what is needed to be accomplished on a uh, civil rights level, on a social justice level, by being merely emotional. He knew that mere emotions would never do anything because the fierce force of an unjust power to crash down on the people until everything burns. And then and then when we don't have anything, now all of a sudden government's coming in to rescue us again. But the only thing it can rescue us with is a failed socialism. This is why I agree with you about Joe Biden. I hope people wake up because Joe Biden is not the answer to a Donald Trump. Listen, thank you for the call, my brother. I've got to take a break. Three lines open. one 367 5329 Three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. We've got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Three lines open if you want to join in the conversation and the discussion around how to uh, how to bring solutions to this this never ending cycle of conflict outbreaks protest, violence, uh, and destruction as a consequence of, um, of our, our society being broken in many, many, in many, many ways. Um, the outrage is understandable. The protest is legitimate. The violence and hostility, even protesting in the behalf of my brother, George, 
uh, and yet engaging in uh, vandalism and looting, you are wrong. You need to stop. Even his brother said stop. Even his brother said, don't do it in the name of uh, George Floyd. Don't stop traffic. Don't create mayhem. Don't keep people from going home after work. Don't tear up businesses. Don't destroy property. Don't do all that in the name of George Floyd, as our sister Joanna had so clearly said. This just makes Christianity or African-Americans look really bad. And uh, and society as a whole, not just African-Americans, you just look bad when you take an, uh, an evil travesty as what occurred in Minnesota and then go to tearing up stuff, holding up stuff, hindering people, taking them hostage and destroying the normalcy of their life. That is not the way to get the job done. And by the way, I just want to say, if you guys don't know, that George Floyd was a believer. He was a Christian. He was a uh, a man whose uh, actions were uh, those that followed his conversion. He is known by many in his community um, as the OG who, whose whole objective was unity. His whole objective was peace. He was called a man of peace. You can read that in Christianity Today. They gave him a lengthy uh, article on the front page about who he was and his ministry in Houston, Texas, which is where he was from. So he wasn't just some cat off the street. He was definitely a brother in Christ getting at the business of, uh, of helping people, having lived the very hard life that many of us have lived in the past uh, and have come to realize that redemption is the only way and uh, re restoration is in Jesus Christ. And uh, where we abandon that message, we're going to have a problem. Listen, I've got two lines open if you want to talk. one 367 Let me go to line number one and talk with James from the Bay. James, are you there? Hey, Pastor. How are you doing today? Can you hear me? I'm good, man. Yeah, I can hear you. What's going on? Well, I'm glad you just uh, at that last piece about uh, George Floyd uh, that helped me uh, frame what uh, you know I want to say here because he truly was a believer. You know, not obviously dying in the in the right way for what he believed. I don't even know why uh, you know he was even taken into custody, but that's neither here nor there. But as far as the narrative that you brought up, brought up. Uh, controlling, you know, uh, this country, I think has to be clearly addressed. Um, for one, what I've been doing, I'm going to start back doing, especially among believers, is asking them who's controlling the narrative in their life. You know? Right. Is it in mainstream media, social media, um, you know, government? Uh, is it uh, education? You know, is it entertainment? Uh, right. When the answer should be, it should be the scriptures, it should be the Lord Jesus Christ controlling the narrative, because that's yep. who we are and where we are. You know, and, and when you talked about protest, to me, the Lord Jesus Christ was was, was, was adamant, I mean, was the uh, ultimate uh, protester, because he protested yep. uh, who he, you know, what he believed uh, from, from a crystal century uh, point of view. Uh, during his days here on earth, and who we are, who we were, where we are, we were supposed to follow, you know, following his lead, okay, uh, uh, through the scriptures and what he did. That the map, the road map, is you know is laid out. So like you said, we our churches have become so 
no, it, it becomes, I almost want to say it, heretical. I mean, when it comes, because they're not, they're not teaching from the scripture, such as yourself and stuff, but, you know, such as others, you know, that we know that are, you know, on the battlefield for the Lord Jesus Christ and not for self. Yeah. Um, we can, I mean, we can ill afford, like you said, to give, you know, sucked into the political vacuum. I mean, the political vacuum, as you often said, that's, you know, that's quite clear. But at a time like this, you know, you and, and others, you know, like yourself, like like Rabbi, you know, helping the believer think and the thinker believe, you know, yep. engage in the culture for Christ, you know, we have to be able, you know, to talk about these situations. And if there's any believers out there, Doing the mayhem, protesting is one thing as you well know, and the looting is something else. And we all know the looters are just sitting around waiting for an opportunity to do the fool. I'm sorry. Absolutely. That's you know that, that that's nonsense. I don't care, you know what uh you know what color you are. I mean that's yep. that's neither here nor there. But for the believers, you know, I think it's time for us to come out from behind closed doors and start walking down the street with the message of truth. You yep. Know, uh, with his message, I mean, because we're walking down the middle of the road, that narrow road, yep. and we have to start, you know, with, 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 with what we've learned, we have to start sharing that message with the people. In other words, we can't allow, allow ourselves to be manipulated by the, by the propaganda. We, we, can no longer, we can no longer do that. I mean, it seems to me, and I'm going to tell you how... <clears throat> How out of touch I am. Mm-hmm. I thought, I thought that see no other time that I can recall. You correct me if I'm wrong. When one of these egregious acts was caught, you know, live uh, on social media, what have you. No other time uh, that I can recall was a police officer actually fired the same day, uh, and with the support of well, by the chief and with the support of the mayor. Right. Now, you've been arrested. I mean, most of the time, they're not arrested. Most of the time, they put on paid administrative leave. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> and I was thinking more like, okay, at least with it being caught, they came out and fired them. Not just one, but all the officers involved, you know, uh, in that situation with the backing of the mayor. Yep. And was he arrested? So what's going on out there now? I mean, what more do the people want? I mean, two wrongs don't make a right. You can't turn around and kill uh, the the police officer without due press because you see what happened when he did to George Floyd without with denying him his you know his right. So, you know, what is it the people want? I don't think the people know what they want. You know, and until they sit down <clears throat> one and work through the, the truth of what's going on and make them stop and think instead of react. Because we have a lot of reaction going on today, and I'm a, and I'm gonna bring up another situation that because it didn't catch, you know, it, it didn't have the attention that George Floyd scenario had because of it was recorded. To me, it was more egregious, at least just as egregious, and you may be familiar with it about the young sister who was sleeping in her own bed in Louisville, Kentucky. Are you familiar with that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, it, uh, it was it was just three or four weeks ago, somewhere in March. Right, where you know now that, now here was a cover up. It was yep. done. Obviously, you know the sister was the first responder. You know, you know, doing well. You know, well known. 
Department in that community, Louisville, got it wrong and then tried to cover it up. Yeah. You know, and it took pressure from outside for the chief to resign. And that, to me, was, well, I would say just as much or more, I would say even more egregious because they came in and, and, and shot the system. You know, right, but the practice. elements weren't there to create <clears throat> a ruckus and a riot. And this is really where Travis's, uh, our, our former brother, our former caller, uh, was talking about, you know, what what is it going to take to create the necessary changes where these things don't occur? Uh, this is a this is going to be a long conversation. This is going to be a deep conversation. This is going to be a broad conversation about again the infrastructure of our, our our government and our institutions and their ability to operate under color or with the level of protections that allowed them to be so presumptuously. Um, uh, immoral and unjust, as what you are now stating happened with that young lady in, uh, in in Kentucky. Well, obviously, and we know that Kentucky, the conditions in Kentucky are quite different, uh, James, than the conditions in Minnesota. Minnesotians uh, have a little bit more of a broader, diverse base of uh, of uh, disunity. Uh, than, than, than Kentucky. Elements in Kentucky are very racist. Elements in Kentucky are very uh, controlled and, 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 and hyper-conservative relative to being able to kind of squash difficulties before the spotlights are put on them. This was not the luxury of the Minnesota situation. Minnesota is filled with all kinds of folks who are from the hood, who are struggling, who have uh, difficulties and and uh, the eclectic nature of it uh, led to this. I, this is one of the reasons why I appreciate John Piper so much, because for so many years in his ministry, he knew that where he came from as a white person who came up under a kind of a, a Bob Jones ministry, which is your hyper-conservative, legalistic, you know, kind of self-righteous Christianity that basically was pro-white, uh, he had to speak out every year against both abortion and racism if his ministry was going to have the integrity that it would have and the longevity that it had. And, and I, I remember him kind of just quietly year after year, James, having black people in, having uh, persons of color in, having the conversation and dialogue. And it wasn't all that comfortable for his largely white congregation. But John knew that he could not turn a deaf ear to what was happening right outside his doors in Minnesota if he was going to have a gospel ministry. Um, and so I, I so commend him for it because he's not acknowledged for that element uh, uh, in, in his ministry, uh, you know, uh, uh, long term. But what we're dealing with right now is going to require uh, civil, rational dialogue that moves people away from emotions as their identity. People are wrapped up in emotionalism as a fundamental and, and prominent attribute of their identity. The comparison that I'm going to make here, and I'm going to show you how the paralysis of emotionalism works. So you already know about the Central Park issue with the Caucasian sister who uh, who, who misrepresented the uh, the the deeds of that 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 African American brother who was just bird watching and saw his saw this young lady with her dog off the leash and wanted her to put the dog back on the leash. Right? You saw that. Yes. 
Right. And you saw how in her naivete and ignorance, she thought she could get away with crying black men beating down or abusing a white woman. That cry has been used for hundreds of years, as you know. She thought she could get away with that in the year 2020 and no less on camera. Well, the brother was recording her <laughs> while she was doing it so that, you know, the whole world can see in real time what goes on behind the scenes when a person thinks that they're right simply because they're emotional. See, she had got emotionally upset because he told her to put her dog back on the leash to protect his family. She was outraged by that and used that as an opportunity to, 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 to uh, for all intents and purposes, lynch him. Um, you know, the Caucasian woman crime, being raped by a black man. And it turned on her uh, righteously by the whole of society. Emails and, and texts and, and Twitter and all that said to her, hey, you were wrong. You were outrageously wrong, and she had to turn around and uh, and and get on uh, on 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 online, email, Twitter, and all those other forms, and admit that she just was wrong. But here's the analysis that I'm bringing to the table uh, before I take a break. I see our society as losing its identity in terms of its humanity from being able to think appropriately to being dominated by its feelings. And her feelings made her feel like she was right. And so she did the wrong thing, thinking that because she felt right, she was offended by that black man, offended by him saying something to her, offended by him saying to her that she should control her dog. And her dog was a perfect analogy of, 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 of her wrongness because her dog didn't want to be locked up by her. And he's screaming and hollering and, and, and having fits. And some of the people that are far more you know, animal sensitive told her that she was abusing her dog. Well, that turned around and it corrected itself. Long ago, that wouldn't have happened. If there were no cameras watching, that wouldn't have happened. My point is, is that emotionalism is dominating a lot of people. On the other hand, if you did see what happened to George Floyd, uh, as did I, the uh, painful reality is that there were all kind of people watching that brother be killed and they were paralyzed. Not one person uh, hollered at the cops, threw something at him, or lunged at him to knock him off of the throat of, 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 uh, of, of George Floyd. That was what was shocking to me. And it's telling me that our, our society now is becoming almost detached from legitimate emotional outrage that can move you actively to doing something that's important when it comes to saving lives. Not only were the cops emotionally detached, pathologically, surrounding this other cop while he did that, but the people that were standing around felt no sense of uh, righteous indignation to actually move. That frightened me because... When you can be emotional in the same way in which that woman was, but then be completely without emotion while you're watching a man die of uh, asphyxiation, that means that we have lost our balance as human beings in terms of being able to think right and act right and employ our emotions in the right context in order to stop travesty against a fellow human being. This 
is really at the heart of a lot of our problems today. And if we continue excelling, accelerating and being emotionally centered, driven by our emotions, uh, uh, brother, uh, brother James, we won't solve our problem. Listen, I got to take a break, pay some bills, catch a couple of other lines. Thanks for the call. This conversation definitely won't end. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, all right, we're back. We've got about nine minutes. If you want to try to give a call, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to get in on the conversation, um, yeah, we we will be having a prayer service tomorrow. Um, so we've got a little bit of liberty, I guess. Uh, nowadays, we had a wonderful uh, initial uh, in-house public worship service. On Sunday, 100 people inside, 100 people outside. That worked for us for a couple of services. So we got to pray for um, healthy, healthy uh, gatherings among the people of God for the next three weeks so that we can go back to uh, worshiping together. Uh, we're on a curfew. That means at uh, 8 o'clock, everything gets shut down. We hope that nothing goes bad. Um, but uh, we will be praying. For those of you who are part of our prayer service, we will the doors will be open. We'll have a commentary at 6 o'clock from 6 to 6.30. And then from 6.30, 6.45 to 7.30, we will be uh, dealing with prayers. We need to be praying at this time for sure. Um, if you want to come out, you can. We will be social distancing, but we will be praying together with the saints all around the world. This is definitely a time Um a prayer. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I just kind of speak continually to what we're dealing with. Conversations are good, but the question we might very well want to ask is, uh, are we talking to God? Uh, are we talking to God? I've said it for years. If we're not praying, we're fighting. Uh, two people that are at odds and in, in, in variance and conflict with one another. Uh, if they were to just quietly go away into each other's corner and just start praying, they might find that heaven would open up and give them a solution to the problem. And maybe that's what we need to do here in America before just continually walking around protesting and talking and, 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 and arguing and, and, and debating. Because I know that's going to cause the, the media to lose its job. Because <laughs> uh, what they need is they need for people to be in the streets. They need protesters. They need violence. The media needs people acting like they can't live in a controlled society in a civil way. The media needs that. They need you to, to act up. They need you to get mad. The media needs you to, to vent and foment and, and, and get frustrated. But what if we all took a moratorium on, uh, on uh, protesting and going out into the street and all, everybody just filled up? you know, places of worship, just filled up places of worship and got on their knees and prayed. And I, you know, I would, I would even go for a silent prayer, you know, just bow your knees and call upon God in your heart for one hour. Now think about, think about that. All the local churches that do all of the activities, all of the different ministries that we do, all of the different programs we engage in, all of that good. But at a time like this, when we are finding our rights being challenged, finding our rights being taken advantage of, finding them being taken away, quite frankly, because 
we don't have the right tonight after 8 p.m. to go out. We did that. Human beings did that. Um, uh, the folks that took advantage of protesters did that, took our rights away. This is what I mean. Our, there's a system out there that's trying to do that on purpose, legitimately working towards taking our rights away. And uh, what if we all just got on our knees and just quietly prayed? You know, you don't have to always let people know what you're doing. You don't have to tell people that you're going out witnessing. You don't have to tell people that you're going out feeding people and clothing people. You don't, you don't have to do that. Don't have to tell them. We don't, the church doesn't have to always be in the middle of the limelight or the news or the public forum. You just don't have to do it. There's an element of the life of the believer. And, and you know, th this is how... This is how the early church found itself swinging on the perilous pendulum. I'm sure you know it. Uh, monastic life started taking place maybe 150, 200 years after the apostolic era. Um, you, you don't find monasticism in the New Testament. It's not, it's not a, a theology of, uh, uh, you know, of any kind of prominent Christian expression in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's about evangelism. In the New Testament, it's about suffering for the cause of the gospel. In the New Testament, it's about the transformation of the Roman Empire through the gospel at the personal individual level. That's how Rome was transformed. It wasn't transformed by policies, by politics. It was transformed, according to Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 34 through 44, by that small pebble crushing the feet of the great image in the fourth stage of its development called the Roman Empire. And that happened in AD 33 <clears throat> and subsequent thereof, where the apostles started preaching the gospel first at Jerusalem, then Judea, then the uttermost parts of the world. And when God had called Paul and Silas and Timothy and a few others to go beyond the parameters and Barnabas, beyond the parameters of Jerusalem, that's Acts chapter 15, the Holy Ghost said, being a person, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. So he not only speaks intelligently and rationally as a person, he calls us, the Holy Ghost does, to go to the Gentiles. And so Paul and Barnabas and their team just began to share the gospel in the different synagogues in Asia Minor, and the gospel began to spread. Jews and Gentiles became believers in Christ. And over time, the gospel continued to sustain, even under Neroan persecution, under Caligulan persecution, under Hadrian persecution, under Domitian persecution. The church didn't protest. The church preached. It preached the protest of Christ against sin, not against, you know, social issues against sin. And the beast rolls up, this is what you learn in the book of Revelation, to try to crush the two witnesses. Uh, but the two witnesses rose again after three and a half days. Uh, indomitable, because it has the seal and power of the Spirit of God. And I, I think that if we were to uh, go back to the fundamental calling of prayer and, and preaching, we're, we're doing all the other stuff. I'm not saying don't do it. But, you know, prayer, 
families praying, churches praying. Just, you know, for a whole year, two years, just pray. Let the folks in politics do what they do and let the church pray. We'll be praying and see if we can get some change by heaven opening up. He can change hearts. I'll see you guys next week. Remember, pray. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Thank you.